what is a biblical worldview? A worldview is a compilation of presuppositions. We've defined a presupposition as a, uh, a rock-bottom foundational belief that's not testable in a science lab. I can't give you any empirical evidence to prove to you that this particular thing is real. Uh, we talked about that God is our creator. We've talked about how we live in a fallen world, that we live in a fallen creation, um, and all those sorts of things. When you blend them together, it makes sense of our world when we step outside on Monday morning and greet it. Uh, it's how we understand the world in which we live. It's how we make sense of uh, suffering. It's how we make sense of you know, how people act, not in good ways, and, and how we understand some of that. Um, and so one of the presuppositions, the last one that I come to bring to you today, is this idea that we live in a spiritual realm as well. That we, when we live in the physical realm, but there's also a spiritual realm that goes on that we don't see, that we're not, with our, with our human eyes, we can't see, but we know that it's there. We know that it exists. And again, that's part of how we understand our interaction with the world in which we live. And so specifically, I want to talk about the topic of angels and demons today. Um, I'm not going to share any fantastic stories with you in case you were thinking maybe I might have a few humdingers. No, I don't. Um, but uh, anyhow, we're going to talk about this, this topic, but this, I'm not going to give you a, a exhaustive treatment on this topic, um, but I'll give you some of the highlights and the things that really connect with and are important to you, and then we'll talk about what difference all this makes to your life and mine. Fair enough? All right, here we go. We're going to, um, our scripture for today is Matthew chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. You can follow along with the screen. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 12. We'll begin at verse 22. This is the story of Jesus um, casting out uh, the demon. I have a demon-oppressed man, and then you'll receive the response of the snarky Pharisees and then Jesus' response to them. So let's read this together. Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 22. Here we go. Then the demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, so um, we're going to get to this text here in just a little bit, and um, you're going to have to put your thinking caps on today. I'm going to be rolling through some information. Um, we're going to begin by kind of two parts here on the front end, talking about angels and talking about demons. The first part here, part one, we're going to talk about angels. I'm going to use a definition that comes to us from Dr. Wayne Grudem. Um, he wrote in his book, Systematic Theology, here's the definition he gave of angels. He said, angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies. So I want to break that definition down into three parts and examine it. We'll talk about that, okay? So the first part is that they are created beings. The idea that angels are not like God. They are immortal. They'll live on forever. But they had a beginning. They had a start. God is infinite. He had no beginning. He has no start. And he has no end. So angels have a beginning. They are, um, they are created. For example, the psalmist writes Psalm 148 and verse 2, Praise God, all his angels, and praise him, all his hosts. And then verse 5, speaking about those angels, David says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, God spoke, and they were what? Created, all right? So angels are created beings. They have a beginning. 
Second quality about angels is that they possess moral judgment. And this fact can be seen in the Scripture reports that they sinned. Some of them disobeyed God and thereby lost their status in, in heaven. They fell from heaven. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, Peter reports, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So just like human beings, angels have the capacity to disobey God. So that's what, the, that's what Peter's reporting here. And some of them sinned. Some of them, when the, when the, when the command was given or, or some thought came into their mind, and they pursued it in, in opposition to God, and they became demons as a result. Uh, this reveals that we human beings, how different we are than the angels. There's a huge difference between us and them. That is that when we fell, when we sinned against God, God put a plan of redemption in place so that we could enter back into relationship with Him. The angels had no such second chance. The angels never had the opportunity for forgiveness. It was simply they disobeyed and God banished them to a life apart from Him. The angels, we said, are created beings. Uh, they have moral judgment with high intelligence, but the definition also says that they are without physical bodies. That is, that angels are spiritual beings. We can't see them. They're not visible to our human eye. For example, Jesus, in talking about the Spirit, said in Luke chapter 24 and verse 39, He said, see my hands and feet. This is right after Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. That ain't, the disciples thought Jesus was an angel. And he says, no, 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 look, see my hands and feet, touch me, and see, for a spirit, that is an angel or a demon, does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So we see here the teaching that the angels are uh, spiritual beings, that they don't have physical bodies like you and I do. Now we know from Scripture that there are times when, in, when these invisible creatures become visible. They even appear in bodily form on occasion. Matthew chapter 28, an angel appears to the two women at the tomb after Jesus' resurrection. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, this may be a familiar passage to you, says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. A stranger is somebody who appears at your door, appears at your place of work. Somebody in the flesh appears as a human being. He says, For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So the angel comes knocking on your door and you entertain that angel he's saying hey look it may be that that person standing at your door is actually an angel that's what the writer of hebrews is saying so they can appear in some sort of human form but in most sightings of angels in the scriptures they appear as heavenly beings with radiant light and again the light that they are effervescing right the light, light that they're shining is the light of god god's glory in heaven they've been in god's presence um, one of my daughters has one of these t-shirts that she sleeps with at night, and you can see the words on the t-shirt because they are glow-in-the-dark, right? She likes to hold that thing up in the light and then put it on, and then she gets in her bed, and her, her bed's glowing, right? And so that's the idea of what the angels are, is that they've been in God's presence, and God's the source of the light, and then that light is reflected off of, or the angels kind of absorb some of that, right? The daughters are all trying to figure out whose t-shirt that was, right? And so, so they're trying to, um, I'm sorry, that was rabbit trail. We'll just move on. All right, so a couple more quick facts about angels. Um, one is that they are, so we learned that they are creative beings. We learned that they have moral judgment. We learned that they are spiritual beings. But also we would add that they are lots and lots of angels. Um, for example, John has a vision of Jesus seated on his throne in heaven, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11. He says, Then I looked and I saw or heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, he says, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands. So just having this vision of God up in heaven, he sees these angels just 
scores of angels all around the throne in heaven. Number two, we would add a quick fact, uh, despite the fact that there are lots and lots of angels, that only two of the angels are named in Scripture. Do we know who they are? A little trivia question here for you this morning. Oh, you're right on it, right? We've got Michael the archangel, and then we've got Gabriel. Gabriel was the one who appeared to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, telling him that John would be born, and also appeared to Mary, the mother of Jesus, telling her that she would conceive and bear a child and name him Jesus. Number three, don't, um, the angels don't get married, and they don't procreate. Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 30. For in the resurrection, human beings, he's talking about there, for in the resurrection, human beings will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven who aren't married and don't have children. And so that's the idea here is that angels don't, ha aren't, don't procreate and they don't get married. Now, two final questions that you may have. Number two, is there such a thing as guardian angels? Perhaps you may wonder about that. And then the second question that we'll ask here or answer here is, do angels still appear to people today? So let's talk about the first one of those, the idea of guardian angels. Um, guardian angels, uh, you know, there's been a lot, uh, people have lots of different thoughts about it, but there's really only two verses in all Scripture, at least that I'm aware of, that speak to the issue of guardian angels, or at least that the idea of that comes from. And one of those comes from Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10, when Jesus is referring to little children. He says of the little children, he says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels, referring to the angel perhaps assigned to the little children, always see the face of my Father in heaven. So Jesus is saying there in that text, at least if we read it in the plain meaning, that little children have an angel assigned to them. Uh, and that these angels, he says, are actually up in heaven and that they continually see, he says, the face of my father. So little children assigned an angel. I, don't, I honestly don't know what Jesus meant by this text. And I'm, I'm reading through all the people that I was reading through this past week. None of them really exactly know what Jesus meant by this text. But it could be understood here in this text that Jesus is saying that there is some sort of a guardian angel watching over little children. Now, we want to expand that beyond little children to say, oh, well, you might include adults too. Well, there is another passage of Scripture over in Acts chapter 12. And in Acts chapter 12, Peter has just gotten out of jail. An angel has showed up. His chains have fallen off. He followed the angel out of the jail, and then all of a sudden the angel disappears. So Peter goes back to the church, the house church, where he had been worshiping with and had met with these people. And he goes knocking on the door, right? He's knocking on the door. And finally, one of the folks comes downstairs, and the door was locked. He comes downstairs, and she opens up the door, and Peter's standing there. Well, she closes the door in his face, goes back upstairs, and tells everybody, hey, everybody, Peter's downstairs. Well, I mean, don't you think you should have invited him in? But nevertheless, I guess you were so shocked to have seen Peter because he was supposed to be in jail, and there's no way Peter was going to get out of jail. And so one of the people in their disbelief says to him um, in Acts chapter 12, verse 15, um, it's not Peter, it's his angel. So again, from that little verse and the verse in Matthew chapter 18, Folks have developed this idea of there's some sort of an angel that's assigned, some sort of guardian angel. I cannot definitively say that there are guardian angels, and I can definitively say that there are not guardian angels. So there you go, right? Um, my point is, to use these passages as evidence of guardian angels being assigned to every person, it is a little bit, more than a little bit, of a stretch. But nevertheless, it is there. So second question, and then we'll move on. Do angels still appear to people today? Well, we know from the early church that angels were active in the lives of believers. For example, an angel appeared to Philip, uh, telling him to travel to Gaza, Acts chapter 8. An angel appeared to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, instructing him to invite Peter to stay at his house. 
An angel appeared to Paul, assuring him that his ship would not be lost, Acts chapter 27. Not to mention that the writer of Hebrews opens up the possibility that an angel could come knocking on your door and that you could entertain them as a stranger. See, I don't see any, so I don't see any reason, scripturally speaking, why an angel would not appear to someone today. I mean, it makes sense that if God could send someone to you to give you, you know, a word from him, some sort of instruction that he wants you to know about, some sort of warning that he wants you to uh, be aware of, that God could send an angel to do that just the same. I wouldn't, I wouldn't eliminate the possibility of that. The scriptures certainly don't eliminate the possibility about that. But even in scripture, those, opportun- those times are rare, Right? They're unusual. So we would assume that that possibility is there, but it would be rare and unusual today as well. All right, well, let's switch topics to talk about demons. Back to Dr. Um, Wingert. Y'all doing okay? Okay. All right. I'm still thinking about Christmas and uh, all that. What you got? Are all the, all the decorations taken down? Yeah, that's this afternoon, right? If it's not. All right, so um, let's switch topics. Dr. Grudem, uh, he gives us the definition for demons, and he says, he defines demons this way. Demons are evil angels who sinned against God and who now continually work evil in the world. Notice in his definition, the key there is that demons are angels or were angels, right? They are angels who sinned, he says, and that because they sinned, they fell from God's presence and they've been cast out of his presence forever. Um, what this means is that all the qualities that go along with being an angel also go along with being a demon. Okay? For example, demons are created beings. They were part of God's good creation until they sinned. And as demons also have moral judgment, and they failed in that moral judgment and sinned, and because of that they've been cast out of God's presence. Demons are spiritual creatures, just like angels. They don't have physical bodies. That is, they are invisible to the material eye. We would say that there are lots and lots of demons, but there is only one demon that's mentioned in all of Scripture that's, given a, that's named in Scripture. Anybody tell me who that is? Satan, that's right. Satan, Lucifer, the devil, Beelzebul, all these different names that are given to him in Scripture, the serpent. And this character, Satan, was the first of God's created beings to sin. He was the originator of disobeying God. It is for this reason that Jesus refers to Satan, John chapter 8 and verse 44, as the father, notice the end of that verse, the father of lies. He's the first, right? He's the originator of sin. It was Satan who misled Eve in the garden and caused she and Adam to sin. He's the originator of sin, and he tempts other people to do it with him. Now, I want to close out this little segment by answering a question that we answered with the other topic. And that is that our demons still active in the world today because our understanding of this and our response to this is key to what comes next and understanding how all this impacts your life and mine. So um, I want to begin by drawing our attention to a biblical timeline of human history. We've got that for you. I'll put that up on the screen. You can see there on this timeline, this is something I've shared with y'all before, on this timeline of human history that it begins at creation. So that's where our world was created, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Um, and then human beings are placed on the earth. Um, and then the fall takes place. That is the sin that happens in the garden and everything changes for us. And then if you move forward to the end of that timeline, you see it's the end of time. And this is where human history is done, where it terminates. And it terminates at the return of Christ. So one of these days, Jesus is going to appear in the sky and he's going to bring with him the souls of all those that had gone on before. 
And when he appears in the sky, you're going to see, if you're still alive to see it, you're going to see the graves breaking open, and you're going to see reconstituted bodies coming up from the sea, and they're going to fly up into the sky, and they're going to meet the soul, their soul in heaven. And friends, that's what we call the resurrection. Okay? Be the great resurrection um, of the dead. And so at that will mark the end of time. Now, there's all this human history that happens between the fall, creation and the fall, and when Jesus is going to return. And so we're living in the middle of that. Where, you say, well, where do we belong on the timeline? Well, again, on the timeline, you've got two ages. You've got the Old Testament age, or the age of the law. This is the God had given the law to Moses, and the Jewish people had followed this law. And the part of the Godhead that was most active on the planet during that period was God the Father, right? He's in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, pillar cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And he resides here on the earth, he left heaven, came down to his throne here on the earth, and he resides here on the earth during that age, during the Old Testament age. And then you skip forward to the second age, and the part of the Godhead that's most active on the planet earth now, the age of the Spirit, or the church age, which is the age we live in, is the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple? Temple is a place where God lives. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So the part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, that's most active on the planet right now in the current age is the Holy Spirit, and He lives and resides inside of each and every one of us. But there's this little overlap period between the end of the one age and the beginning of the other. And the part of the Godhead that was active during that period is Jesus Christ. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about that, make sure we understand what's going on and why it's so important. Flip over to Matthew chapter 12 with me. That was the passage that we read a few moments ago. And in that passage, Jesus casts a demon out of a guy. Notice the conclusion he makes about this event. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. But if it is by the Holy Spirit that I cast out this demon then the kingdom of God, a new age, has begun. So Jesus is saying that evidence of the fact that we've entered into a new age of human history is the fact that demons can be cast out of someone. Verse 28, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. A few verses later, verse 32, Jesus acknowledges these two ages. He says, Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, that is the Lord Jesus, will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Jesus understood that he stood at the precipice. He stood at the, at the, at the end of one and at the beginning of another, this overlap period. He understood that there were two ages to human history and that things were going to be different in this coming age. And he says one of the, reasons that, one of the ways that we know the inauguration of this new age is the power to cast out demons. Um, everybody still with me? Okie doke. It's important to note that there are no clear instances of casting out demons in the Old Testament. There's one occasion that I know of where Saul is possessed of a demon, and I think David or somebody prays, and the, and the, spirit, the evil spirit lifts off of him, and he's in his clear mind for just a little while, and then a little while later the demon returns and Saul's back to the same way he was before. I think there might be one other occasion in Scripture where somebody actually casts out a demon, but then again it returns, same thing. Um, nobody had seen anything like this before, Jesus. This was something completely new. This was, this was, the, the, demons were messing with people and 
perhaps possessing people, but we couldn't do anything about it. And along comes Jesus, and he says, hey, look, it's a new age. It's a new time in human history. In fact, people recognized that something was new. Mark chapter 1 and verse 27, Jesus just cast a demon out of a guy. Look at the people's response, verse 27. And they were all amazed. We've never seen anything like this before. What is this, they say? This is something totally new. A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So we've entered into a new period of human history here, and Jesus is pointing out there in Matthew 12, verse 28, that, look, the fact that this happened is proof, is evidence of this new age of human history. My point is this. Are demons still active in the world today, the world in which we live, this part of human history? Yes. But with the inauguration of the second age of the Spirit, or with the inauguration of the second age, the age of the Spirit, demons can be cast out. We don't have to put up with them anymore. Something can be done about them. Demons cannot just run amok in people's lives and we do nothing about it. Demons cannot just ramrod through people's lives and we're just left to deal with it. Jesus has entered into the strong man's house, he says. Matthew 12, verse 29. He's come into Satan's domain. Satan was, under the old age, the prince of this world. He's not anymore. Jesus has entered into his house, entered into his domain, this world, and has bound him, has tied him up. He no longer has the authority to run amok in your life or in mine. And so thereby, he's limited in his freedom and control over our lives. This is one of the things that Jesus did. It's just one of the things he did. But he did do this. He brought the authority to cast out and rebuke demons. All right, well, that's our summary treatment of angels and demons. And so that means it's time to ask our most important question, the question we ask every week around here, which is, how do we recognize demonic influence? That's not our most important question, but it does answer our most important question. What difference does all this make to my life? So I want to spend the balance of my time that I've got left here. How do we recognize demonic influence and what can we do about it? You know, we think about somebody being demon possessed. Perhaps you've seen a movie or something like that where somebody was foaming at the mouth and they look like they're really angry or their head spun around. I don't know. Something, something weird was going on. Um, and it seemed like they were out of control of their will. Like, they, they, they couldn't control their physical body. They were out of control of what came out of their mouth, of what they, what they thought. They were just literally at the, at the behest of whatever they were possessed of. And so, um, that's, that's one idea here. But again, those, the times that that actually is pointed at happens in Scripture are very unusual and extremely rare. And so because of that, the biblical writers, the New Testament writers, were much more concerned, not with demonic possession, they were much more concerned with demonic influence. Okay? There's a difference there. They were much more concerned with demonic influence, the influence that demons and forces of evil have over, um, over our lives. So when it comes to demonic influence, this is what I want to talk about, the door to that influence is opened and closed in proportion to our sin. Let me say that again. When it comes to demonic influence, the door to that is opened and closed in proportion to our sin. 
When you sin, it opens a door for the devil. For example, Paul writing to the Ephesian Christians said, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, be angry. In other words, it's okay to be angry. Jesus got angry, right? However, he says, do not sin. And then he says, he cautions, because, you know, anger is a gateway emotion. There's nothing wrong with being angry, but it can throw you off a cliff if you follow it too far, right? And so Paul cautions against this. He says, be angry and do not sin. And here's how you manage it. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, if you've had an issue with somebody at work, don't wait till the next day because you're going to lay in your bed and you're going to stew and they're going to do the same thing. And then it's going to be irreconcilable by the next morning. Same thing with your spouse, same thing with your siblings, whoever it may be that you get into something with, deal with it that day, right? That's a command of scripture, deal with it that day, because then it'll, it'll, help, it'll dissolve the thing so that you won't fall into sin. And then he says, listen to this, verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Paul makes a direct link, get this, between the sin of anger and an open door for the devil. He makes a direct link between not being angry. Remember, anger is not a sin, but when we in anger sin and an open door for the devil. The same thing goes with any other sin. You start coveting what somebody else has, you're opening the door for the devil. Right? You start entertaining lustful thoughts in your mind, next thing you know, you're doing things that you never thought you would ever do. You start uh, sitting around being lazy and slothful. Next thing you know, you lost your job. You're sleeping in your car. It doesn't, make, it doesn't take a person who is mighty in prayer to recognize demonic influence. Just look for the presence of out-of-control sin. A person's not possessed of the devil. They're just under heavy demonic influence. Okay? And there's a difference there. I mean, look for the person whose heart is growing hard. Look for the person who's perhaps a person in the mirror where sinful nature has taken over, where every passing whim and compulsion and passion are what is driving that person's behavior. Friends, the more we sin, the more that demonic influence makes its way into our lives. Again, demonic influence, it comes in proportion to our sin. Be angry and do not sin. Give no opportunity to the devil. The more we sin, the more intense the demonic attack becomes. Proportionality. That's what Paul's teaching there. If you're looking for the presence of demonic influence, look for the presence of out-of-control sin. You say, okay, wh what do we do about it? And how can I fight against that? How can I deal with that? Well, I want to be really careful here. Because there's a tendency in us to say, well, the devil made me do it, right? <laughs> Uh, not to want to take personal responsibility. And that, the biblical writers never give us, n never encourage that. Um, even in their dealing with demonic influence, they never say that we're off the hook. Um, so personal responsibility is always at the heart of repentance. It's taking ownership of my actions, of what I've done, not because somebody else made me do it. Um, secondly, we want to be careful because sometimes the affliction, perhaps of depression, is metabolic and it's not demonic. Perhaps it's not a spirit of, of depression that has come upon you in this season of your life, but rather it's a metabolic one. And so we deal with it in different ways. So we want to be careful not to always blame the spiritual realm or demonic influences for everything. But we also recognize as believers, one of our presuppositions is that, hey, there's more to this world than just what we see. 
And so because of that, we need to know how to deal with it. So I would just share a few thoughts with you here. In this case, if it is in your heart, if you just sense that, you know what, there's something going on here, and it's in the, it's in the spiritual realm, and I need to deal with it. I need to address it. Here's what you do. Rebuke the demon in the name of the Lord Jesus, by whose authority you now can rebuke a demon, right? Rebuke the demon in the name of the Lord Jesus and command it to leave. Remember, we're not in the first age anymore. We can do something about it. For example, Luke chapter 10 and verse 17, Jesus sent out 72 of his disciples to deal with uh, or to go out and pr- proclaim the gospel, and they come back with this response. Luke chapter 10 and verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. It's a new age has dawned. We, are, we don't have to live with that stuff anymore. We don't, have to, we don't have to deal with that garbage anymore and just own it. We, we can now have authority over it and cast it out of our life in the name of the Lord Jesus, again, by whose authority um, they have to respond. You say, well, again, how, how do I do that? Well, simply speak it. I mean, demons cannot read minds. Uh, they're not like the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, who instructed us when we pray to our Father, we go in secret, we pray to Him in secret. You know, God hears our quiet prayers as well as the ones we speak audibly, but the Lord Jesus actually had to speak to the demon. Right? When, when, he, when he found one, he had to speak it out loud. He didn't just, in his mind, tell them to do something. He had to talk to them. He had to tell them they can't read his mind and they can't read your mind. And so whatever, when you say this, um, you need to say it out loud so that they hear it. And friends, when you say that you rebuke them, uh, you're telling them to go away, and you say it in the name of Jesus and his authority, they have no choice. Right? The prince of this world is now the Lord Jesus. The kingdom of God has come. A new age has dawned. I mean, we live in that age now. I want to close out our service today by giving you an opportunity to pray. Um, you know, we always, you're always welcome during our closing song to come up here and bow a knee and pray and speak to the Lord. If there's some issue in your life or in your family's life where you just want to come and pray, um, and address some of these issues that we've talked about today. We're welcome to do that. Or maybe something totally unrelated. Maybe you've got a health issue in your life that you like prayer for. And I actually brought anointing oil with me this morning. James chapter 5 tells us, anybody in your church is sick, bring them before the elders of the church. Lay hands on them. Anoint them with oil. Pray for them for their healing. And so if you'd like for us to pray with you this morning, we'd be happy to do that. You say, you know what, Gordon? I'm just not comfortable coming up front. Well, you know what? Tomorrow morning when you're riding down the road in your truck, you're riding down the road in your car, maybe you need to audibly say some things and get some stuff out of your life that's been there. It's been just, you know, hovering over you and, 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 and keeping your thoughts in a direction that you just don't need to be. And friends, there's great freedom that we can have in Christ over these demonic influences. They're real. Right? Presupposition number, because Gordon said presupposition number six. <laughs> They're real, and they influence our world. And friends, we want to make sure that we take the authority that Jesus has granted us to cast them out, to tell them to get lost, 
And friends, you will experience great freedom in your life. So you respond however um, the Lord leads you this morning. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Most gracious God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that, um, that you have brought a new age, a new dawn, a new age, Lord, here in human history where we don't have to live in bondage uh, to anything, not to our own sin, Lord, and certainly not to those forces of darkness. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, you, Paul reminds us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers and principalities and rulers in the darkness of this world. God, that's where the battle is raging. And so, Lord, if we need to take some action on our own behalf, on our children's behalf, on our family's behalf, on somebody at work or whatever it may be, Lord, may we be faithful to execute the authority that you have imbued us with, that you have given to us. You have bound the strong man. Lord, may we live in the freedom you've given us. We come around this table now. We're reminded of your shed blood and of your broken body that made it all possible. And we are grateful. Lord, use this time of prayer. Use this time of worship. Encourage our hearts today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.